first chapter of Philippians can be found on page 830 in your pew Bibles. Page 830, Philippians chapter 1. We'll be doing verses 12 through 26. All right, Philippians 1.12. Now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. It is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. The latter do so in love, knowing that I am put there for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerity, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. But what does that matter? The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice. Yes, and I will continue to rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help given by the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to go on living in the body, this will mean fruitful labor for for me. Yet what shall... What shall I choose? I do not know. I am torn between the two. I desire to depart and be with Christ, which is better by far. But it is more necessary for you that I remain in the body. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain, and I will continue with all of you for your progress and joy in the faith, so that through my being with you again, your joy in Christ Jesus will overflow on account of me. May God bless the reading of his word. Good morning. Good morning. Yeah, yeah, good, 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 good. You know, actually, um, I requested to have this pulpit because this is this is the one I remember. So sorry. <laughs> yeah. um, but um, it's been a great weekend. You know, I know that um, we've had uh, a few messages for those who were able to make it, and. Um, on Friday night, we talked about how missions is a blessing, and then Saturday last night, uh, we really talked about uh, touching our bottom line. And today, and as we can hopefully get the slide up here, the title for today is One Life to Live. Now, I was talking with um, my kids, and they said, no, dads, that's not a good, there's a better way to say it for this generation. So, who here knows what YOLO is? Can I just say, raise your hand? Okay, the, you guys are the, the YOLOs are the ones who are the millennials. You guys are the, you know what? Why don't you tell the rest? Let's educate the others. What does YOLO mean? Thank you, junior high kids. Okay, so for the rest of you who don't know, you only live once. And when do you use YOLO? 
when you try and do something crazy. Yeah. You see, um, I mean, I wish, I really wish we, we, our lives could be like a computer game. You know, we could, we could try out, you know, living a life, a simultaneous living, virtual living, a life of a philanthropist, someone who, you know, makes a lot of money, enjoys it, but gives a lot, and then, 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 then that person dies, and then we try another life. I want to go into med school and become a doctor and make a lot of money and then save the people and then die and then try another life. Then I want to try to be a missionary and then try to see I can share the gospel and then die. Then we go to heaven. But hey folks, YOLO. Uh, Sorry, I'm probably not using it right, but... You only got one life to live. You can choose only one. And I'm going to just focus on a verse of this Philippians 1.21 that we've heard before, we've read before, we've memorized. But it's just very hard to live out. But I'm telling you, if we, if we capture this, this will transform our lives. For me to live is Christ. To die is gain. And if I'm going on to live in the body, this means fruitful labor for me. I'm just going to say it's a very simple passage. You see, it's pretty much saying that heaven is better than earth. Do you believe that? Do you really believe that right now, where we're living right now is not as good as being with Christ in heaven. And if we are still alive today, if you're still a Christian and you're alive today, there's only one reason why. Fruitful labor. God has a reason here for you to do something for the kingdom. Last night, I made an altar call. And all who came that committed themselves to long-term missionaries raised their hand. And I got their pictures. (laughs) Wow, can you believe our church is going to send that many missionaries? Well, you have to ask them what really happened. But wouldn't that be great, YOLO, if these guys... If a good majority of us chose that path. Now, easy said, hard to do. There's a phrase in Chinese, Lai Zhen Nama. I don't know, it's, it's, it's really hard to translate into English, and sometimes I, I but I'm just going to tell you a story. Uh, it's the, probably the best definition of Lai Zhen is are we in it for real? I mean, is this really. Do you really believe this? Are we, are we in it for real? So I came, you know, I was, I was traveling around China, meeting with pastors, getting them ready to go to this conference in South Africa. And, and I came and I met with these two pastors for the first time in Wuhan. And this one pastor, uh, Pastor Job, uh, sitting there, he, he was sharing with me his testimony. He said, you know, Dave, my wife and I, we were, we were working in a hospital. And we, had, we were making a lot of money. We were doctors. Some of you are in med school, and you know, I mean, 
China, the pay is not too good to be a doctor. But you know what? The salary is not that good. But the kickbacks. They said, he said 90% of his income came from under the table. And they were living it up. And he said, you know what? It wasn't just him. Everyone in the hospital, from the president all the way down to the nurses, to the doctors, everyone was getting a share. And they had become Christians. And they were thinking, now, what do we do? And they went back home, and they were wrestling with that, and they liked the money, and and they said, well, but maybe if we do, but we cannot not take, if we do, if they say no to the money, but the, all of a sudden they'll be well, they'll look at you and say, oh, so you're going to report us. So they looked at each other, husband wife. When we say we're believing, are we in it for real? And I'm going to challenge us to think, when we think of this passage, for me to live is Christ, to die is gain. Are we really believing in this passage? Do you really believe that? I have to share with you something. Um, you might think it's humorous, and it, it is, but just please don't, doesn't leave this room. My wife hates me for this, but um, Benjamin, you know Benjamin, he's a cutie, right? You, you, Benjamin's eight years old, and he just found out this week, just found out this week that Santa Claus is not real. And he started off with a question, Dad, um, is Santa Claus real? Because if he is, how does he go to every person's home? And you know, Jackie and I didn't know how to answer this. I said, well, no, he's not. <laughs> and he just burst into tears. And then he asks another question. That means the toothy fairy isn't real either, huh? <laughs> you see, Mika and I, whenever he lost a tooth, Mika would write a little note. Love, toothy fairy. I love your tooth. Thank you, Benjamin. And he burst into tears because not maybe that they weren't real, although... He, it was that he believed us. And, it, and then, he, then he said, Did Jeremy and Mika know? <laughs> yes. <laughs> <laughs> I'm the only sucker. <laughs> That's the innocent heart of Benjamin, who when he writes what he wants to do in the future, he writes missionary with a M-I-S-H, missionary. <laughs> he believes, he just believes that being a missionary 
It's the greatest thing. And I, I'm just hoping, I'm hoping that the Santa Claus thing will, 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 will pass. And, and it has. And he, he's forgiven us now, I know. But young folks still have that heart. Believe. Really. This is real. That heaven is real. That this life is not, this is not what it's all about. We are here because we're here for kingdom work. So I'm going to ask you a question. This is a question I, I, I really believe. Uh, what is the greatest obstacle to mission, for missions today? And what is the greatest obstacle for our church in missions? And I, and I know that it could be, someone may answer, it's, it's, it's Islam. The, the Muslim faith. If you send missionaries to the Muslim world, there are t- places where when Christian, when Muslims turn to Christians, the actual, their family members will execute, will execute honor killing, killing their own family members because they became Christians. It might be Islam. Or you might say, well, it could be communist China. You know, they're so uh, against missionaries, we have to find ways secretly get in and out and so on. Or it might be Buddhism or Hinduism or Taoism. There, there are many obstacles to missions, but I think if I could summarize the greatest obstacle to missions in our church can be summarized by two books that I'm going to share. And I just, I bought them actually at at Barnes and Nobles yesterday. And I'll show you which kind of two books. You see, these two books shape your lives. And I, I share this in your parent, just the last service, but but it's true, it it's impacts my life too. And as I was looking at page 70 here in the U.S. News, best colleges, I'm sure that those who are thinking about going to college, and I'm sure those who are in college went through it, and, and those who are about to go, and parents who are going to have kids. And, and I looked and I said, I wonder what, what do you think would be the number one college that everyone wants to go to? Oh... Uh, MIT's number Harvard, Princeton, Yale, Columbia, University of Chicago, MIT, and then Stanford. Oh, you beat Stanford. <laughs> We've heard of all these colleges, right? Who hasn't? But let me let me name a few others. I went down. Well, let's go down to the number one hundred ninety-nine. What if your kid said? Dad, I'm thinking of University of South Dakota. <laughs> Louisiana Tech University. University of Montana. Anyways, I'm sure, and this is the thing, God loves every person that God, that's gone to every single university in this book. But how can we recognize the first ten names very easily? Because we're in a Chinese church. And then, the second book here I bought, 250 of the best paying jobs. And I was just surprised, because when I looked at the list, this is the top 20 and the income, I was like, no wonder, your parents have been reading these books. 
surgeons, doctors, lawyers, CEOs, dentists, engineers, no airline pilots or air traffic controllers, but I mean, these are physicists, uh, computer, these are just jobs that you, a lot of you guys have, or your parents have. But I then looked at all the way down to 250, and I tried to find the one job, the one career that I think makes the most, has the biggest bang for the bucks. And actually, um, number 250 is telecommunications line installer and repairer. Uh, if you're that, God bless you, you're making 48000 a year, that's pretty good. But what's missing here? Missionary. Pastor. And so, inevitably, we shape our lives based upon, whether you like it or not, based upon these two books. And we've made our decisions based on two, these, these two books. Now, these two books are good because you know what they do? They help us for the next 40 years. You know, from the age 20 plus to, to where you tie 40 years of wonderful information here. But what does it fail to tell you? What comes after that? Because, to be quite honest, if this is really for real, what do you think if, if fruitful labor, kingdom labor that has eternal impact, not 40 years, 40 billion plus years, eternity, what you think what should be on the top number one job that your parents and you should be looking at? Missionary. Right. Oops. You see, when I was in college, and see, this is back in the 80s, um, you know, I had many side jobs. You know, just now it's so different during the summers. Everyone's in the internships. But back then, you just found anything that, that paid above minimum wage, which was, I think, 325 at that time per hour. You know, I, I was a busboy at, at a banquet hall. I mean, I remember just, you know, waiting tables and, and, and for banquets and, and finding that, you know who are the best tippers? It's the mafia. These guys, oh man. They would come and hand you a $20 bill. Yeah, give me another wine. Slip you a $20 bill. That was a lot of money back then. You know who were the most stingy uh, tippers? The Christians. Yeah, we got to save the Lord's money. Here's a dollar. Well, I had many jobs. I, I was actually, I cleaned offices. Uh, I, in, 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 at Wheaton College, I actually had a job on campus. I, I was the AV man. You know what the AV man is? See, back in those days, when everyone, a, a professor wanted to show a video, they had a big, fat TV on a cart with a VCR, and someone had to lug it across campus, up the stairs, to, that was me. 
good jobs to have. Now, you could rank those short-term jobs, but the job that of all that I would say was the most boring of all was lifeguarding. <laughs> and I was a lifeguard, believe it or not. Yep, that was me. <laughs> you see, lifeguarding, for those who are lifeguards, God bless you, but it is the most boring job in the world. You just sit there and watch people have fun. <laughs> for hours. Eight hours just watching. It's not like Baywatch, trust me. It's boring. If I were to rank those jobs in college just for a short just for a summer job, and you were to decide your career based on those summer jobs, neglecting the rest of your life, would that be unfair? I think in the same way, if we were just to look at this temporary 40 plus years of our life and forget that for real, the eternity what matters, that would change our ranking. Now, easy said. Easy said. Hard to do. Um, you've heard me share this before, but... You know, I, we, we were called here to, we were you know, preparing to go to missions and I remember preaching about missions and, and talking about missions and we, we, we did mission trips and ever. But when we actually went on missions, yeah, I'm a chicken. We arrived, we left Boston to New York to prepare and um, Jeremy was born here in Boston. Mika was born in New York. Jeremy was, when we arrived to Singapore for orientation, Jeremy was two years old and Mika was ten months. And I had fears. I had those questions, woman, could God really protect my kids? You see, I remember, because, I, I'm a missionary kid, so I know what missionary kids go through. You see, I remember coming back my seventh grade year, the same year that Mika's, I remember coming back to Chicago. And I remember that we never, my parents just, we never believed in buying clothes. We always believed was the, my, my parents would always get secondhand clothes from you, I mean from the church. And the clothes that we always got either never fit quite right or they were always a decade old. So we were in the 80s now and we were wearing 70s clothes in junior high. Now you can imagine that. Now when third grade and your Benjamin's a no big deal, you can wear anything, you know, Superman, Spider-Man, whatever. But in the 80s, we were wearing bell bottoms in the 80s, not the 70s, and corduroids. Now, that might be cool now. But in the 80s, one day, not only that, 
I remember um, one of my friends looked at me and said, got the floods? And I was like, what, what, what do you mean, got the floods? Uh, well, um, I was wearing, I had pants like this. That was, that was my slide. I didn't know. In the 80s, in seventh grade. And what do you think the kids started thinking? They started to laugh. I'm still psychologically damaged. <laughs> and you will never find me in cords. You'll never find me with bell bottoms. And you'll, my pants are always almost down to the floor. Uh, I've, been, I've been damaged. You see, there are many things as a missionary kid you see. We came back. I mean, those are the funny things. You know, my, my brother and I were bullied. Uh, we, um, we came to church, youth group, and, you know, the church youth group is different from Chinese Bible Church. You know, they didn't treat us too well. We felt like outcasts. We didn't like the church. So we come back for a year, didn't feel at home here, and the next thing you know, back, back overseas, back and forth. Did I want that for my kids? We arrived in the Kunming. And I was like, I had never been to Kunming. I didn't even want to be there. I was called to Beijing. It's like you're called to New York City and you go to Kentucky or something. I know, I mean, it's just for me, not anyone be there, but what if something happened to them? I mean, Jerry, Jackie talks about a time when when uh, we were riding bicycles together and Jeremy was on the back of a seat of a bicycle without a helmet. They didn't, I mean, you say, well, how can you be so responsible? They didn't have children's helmets then. I mean, they don't have them now. I mean, that's just not part of the culture. You couldn't even buy it if you wanted. Well, um, he fell down and broke his head and and if you take a look, you'll see the mark in this hair he still has there. there there's this, this, a place there with no hair. And it started to bleed on the ground. And we didn't know what to do. We took him to the hospital there and, and said, Lord, we just, we just trust, you know. The doctor wanted to sew him up. And I said, no way. I have no idea what's going on here. Um, Thank goodness he didn't get affected, but he didn't get sewed up, so that's why he's got no hair right there. So take a look, you can remember that. But many, many things, those are small things, of course, I'm saying that. But uh, when we got to Beijing, there's a time, I mean, SARS hit. And I, I remember telling a story to you, so I won't say that again, but boy, that we had to make a decision. And you take, this is our courtyard. This courtyard normally is teeming with people. Why is it empty? It's because it was a ghost town. And God brought us through that and saved us from that. And then Benjamin was born. And then they went to Chinese school. And I'm telling you, it wasn't easy. I remember Mika going to Chinese school. This is, this is her classmates. You know, she would go to school. I remember we had come back for furlough here for four months. We had, taken, we had gone back to school. I sent her into this Chinese school. 
And, um, yeah, the teacher, and this is first grade now. They come back at 4.30 at night, and I have to work with Mika three to four hours to finish her homework. First grade, Jeremy and Mika. And I don't even recognize some of those words in first and second grade. You see, the Chinese kids, they could probably do it in an hour to hour and a half or two maybe, but our kids, because we speak English at home, they had a hard time. And I remember talking to, I mean, the teachers, they were mean. I mean, they're like, they're like army sergeants. They come in and say, can you just be a little, I mean, my kids, they don't speak Chinese at home. They just came back from the U.S. Can you just be a little, pushing? <laughs> they're here in China. We're going to do it the Chinese way. They're going to get punished if they don't do their homework. Oh, man. That means i got to be up for three, four hours working with them. This is every afternoon having to pick our kids up at the Chinese school. Mika, you remember that. There's Benjamin. You know, all that whole... uh, um, and you think it's it's cool over there. I'm telling you, they know all those moves. But the Lord preserved our kids. And this was a picture taken right before we left for the States when we were in Beijing. And this is our family now in Bedford. And I just, I, I'm just going to say this, that really, God has been faithful. And as much as there have been challenges, and I, I mean... I say there have been very difficult times. I believe when we came back, I think there might have been some psychological scars on our kids in certain areas. In fact, I remember one of our kids, I won't say who, came back and said, "Uh, I mean, this is very funny, but uh, someone said, I said, who's Justin Bieber? And and, and then Sabrina said, you don't know Justin Bieber? Yeah, well, did you know Teach Hall? You know, of course not. If you were in China... You'd have different sets of, of things. Yeah, our kids came home once and said, you know, um, I, I think we're not supposed to say the N-word. <gasps> you, I hope you didn't say it. I, they don't know. There's a lot of things that just came back without this cultural context. And so missionaries' kids come back and, and, and just kind of feel out of place. Thank goodness. You, you, this group right here, God bless you. You know, you've taken good care of my kids. And they, they, they love you and you love them. And God has been very faithful thanks to, our, to this youth group here. But I do want to share with you, not just our story, but uh, stories of other people. And this is the couple that I met at Grace Chapel last week during the mission conference. And during the mission conference last week, as, uh, as Glenna was sharing, they're with the Boston Project Ministries. Right after college, they dedicated their lives. They said, we're going to move into Dorchester and just be a community there, reaching to the gangs, reaching to the drug addicts, reaching to the, the society there. They just opened their first floor home 
Anyone can come in any time at the night, 10 p.m., any kind of problems, first floor, they just open up for the community. In fact, he just said six, in the last six months, there have been three gang-related murders just riding around his block. And they've been there, and they have children. And Glenna is sharing in tears in front of the whole Grace Chapel women's group. That's why I wasn't there. Jackie was telling me. So, <laughs> in tears, how her daughter, Megan, second grade, because she witnessed domestic violence where her father was almost beaten up by trying to stop a fight, she now has an anxiety disorder. Second grade girl. So I sat next to him for lunch because I knew I was going to preach in this. So I said, Paul, how do you wrestle with that? You know, you and your wife have made a decision to go to Dorchester, but how do you wrestle with the fact that your kids are suffering because of that decision? He said, Dave, it's not an easy answer. And it changes all the time. Very complex. But I'll say this. My wife had a vision early on, and this has kept us going. A vision from the Lord. A statement about this whole situation for their daughter. The vision was this. Nothing will happen to Megan that will not be used for my greater glory. He doesn't understand it now, but nothing that's happening to her right now, as hard as it is, will not be used for her for his greater glory, meaning it won't be wasted. What she's going through now will one day be used for God's glory. You see, I asked him then, would you do it again? Would you move back if you knew this? He said, for sure I would. I have no regrets. The pluses outweigh the minuses. And I asked him about the pluses. You know, one of them being the pluses of our daughter having a compassionate heart, having a heart for the poor. If, if we lived in the suburbs, if we lived in Lexington, she would have never gotten that. She would, be honest, be someone like our kids. They don't necessarily have a heart for the poor yet. Yet, But Megan, at a second grade, has a heart for the poor. Another family, Grace, Rosota, and her daughter, Victoria, shared their story. New Life Ministry started in 1979. Same thing, they're in New Hampshire reaching uh, homeless, substance abuse, women and children come through their home. It's just full of broken people, physically broken, uh, mentally broken, emotionally, spiritually broken people. They opened their ministries for 20 plus years. And so their daughter was growing up as a little baby all through watching all this and one day, Victoria, when she now is about 
a time to make a decision for her own life. What to do with my life? Do I want to follow my parents or do I want to live my own life? And she made a decision. She said, Mom, I want to join you in ministry. And her mom said, no. Why? She said, no, because I don't want you to suffer for the rest of your life. The suffering and the hardship of this ministry you have seen and I have known. I don't want you to go through what I went through. But then, Grace, the mom who had given her life completely over to ministry, started to pray and realized that she examined this self-reflection, examined her life. As hard as the ministry was, she reminded her of the joy that she had during suffering. And she said, you know what? I can't rob the calling of my daughter to experience that joy. I can't rob the jewels in heaven. You see, the question is, are we in it for real? Do we really believe this Bible? Do we really believe for me to live as Christ, to die as gain, and we're willing to put our children's lives at stake. That's the true test. I'm going to end with, um, I know that not everyone's called to go. and But I do know that uh, there are godly, faithful people who are called to stay. And I remember every... Four years coming back to Chicago, and there is a couple at CCUC called Francis, Francis and Sylvia Wu. This family loved the Lord. They were called to stay. They were a family that loved missionaries. And when we came back, when we were at Wheaton College, whenever it was Thanksgiving or Christmas, they would invite us over for dinner. And, and whenever we were on the mission field, we had boxes and boxes of just junk. I don't know why we missionaries have junk. We just have junk we think we're going to use four years from now. We opened up and said, you know, what are these old shoes doing here? But we would leave boxes in their basement. Now, Francis has already gone to be with the Lord. They have supported and prayed for our family for decades. And what he did... Their kids now. Jonathan Wu is a pastor in Evergreen Church in L.A. David Wu is the director of the Putak Center in Chinatown, the social service center. Their third son, Timothy Wu, was an engineer for many years and then gave that up. Now is a missionary in the Middle East. Janice Wu, their fourth daughter, their precious girl, Married one of my best friends, Nathan Lamb. They both are serving in China. They didn't go, but they sent their kids. So I'm going to ask you, are we in it for real? And so I'm going to ask you two questions. And I want you to prayfully think about this. Kids here, especially you. This is for you now. Listen up here. I'm going to ask you first, 
if you're in it for real, am I willing to go? Not just willing, am I called to go? Can I see a raise of hands? From the, from the kids here. Go ahead, raise your hands. Don't, don't be afraid. If I'm going to be called to go, raise your hands. Okay? Not like this, but just... Okay, those who are... Good. Now, we have some kids up here that have raised their hands. I know I've been working with some adults who should also be raising their hands right now. Can I see... um, Eric, can I see your raised hand? (laughs) Sorry. Okay. Now, those who did not raise your hand, can I just see your hands? Where's my camera? No. For those who are called not yet to go. Can I see your hands? Uh, if your hands are down, it means you're coming, right? You're, you're, okay. You're called to stay. Okay. Wow, we have a lot of people going. Can I ask you, as if you're called to, if you're not called, yet called to go, can you, are you in it for real? Can you get ready to send your kids? Okay? That when you have children, and when you make decisions, can you get ready to send your kids to go? Because if you're not going, at least send your kids to go. Then, I believe, Shalai Janda. Let us pray. <clears throat> Father, Lord, I know it's a hard message today. Father, it's a very easy passage, a simple passage. Easy said, yet hard to do. But Lord, just like little Benjamin who just believes, Lord, Father, we want to believe. Give us that faith. The faith just to believe, Lord, that we are not in it for these 40 years. We are in it for eternity. And so, Lord, change our mindset, Lord, so that we are not just looking at these two books, that we're not looking at careers that just live for these 40 years. Lord, change our mindset, Lord, so that we can give our lives that will have eternal significance. And, Lord, if we're not called to go, Lord, send not our neighbor's kid, not send someone else, send my own. Father, may Chinese Bible Church the next 10, 20 years, Father, may they live it out. May it be for real. In Jesus' name, amen.